my wonderful friends. Welcome to Faith FM Drive Time. Welcome to Big Q&A. This is the show where we respond to difficult questions concerning God and faith, contemporary religion and the Bible. This is the show where we look at world religious trends in the light of Bible prophecy. I'm Pastor Gary, a minister to the Brighton Seventh-day Adventist Church in the beautiful city of Adelaide. It is so wonderful to be able to share with you again. This week we're following the theme, the church in an age of cultural change. And the big question for today, has culture impacted, has it changed the church? Today our co-host is Pastor David Butcher. David's the president of the Seventh-day Adventist Church here in South Australia. David, welcome back. You've been on holidays. I have, Gary. It's uh, good to see you again. I've missed um, being part of this journey with our listeners. We really have missed you over the last uh, the last couple of weeks. I mean, the, your smiling faces, uh, I know it's greatly appreciated around the traps. Can't be seen on radio, though, can it? No, that's very, that's very true. Tell us, what did you do over the two weeks that you were off? Yeah, look, I uh, spent some time in Cooper Pedy, Udnadatta. We have an underground church in Cooper Pedy and some incredible ministers up there, a couple up there. This is time off you, you had, David. Well, there was work in the middle of it. And, um, <laughs> yeah, some really good work going on in Cooper Pedy and then went through to Udnadatta. It's about a 190-kilometre trip. Um, yeah. Stayed at the Pink Roadhouse, the famous Pink Roadhouse. Yeah, Road I've House. stayed there myself. Wonderful spot, wonderful it, it spot. It is, and it was a real education for our children as well. And, yeah, look, we've got some incredible Indigenous work going on up there. And uh, there was uh, nine baptisms. Um, uh, our leader that works with our Aboriginal people had um, run some evangelistic series uh, over a couple of weeks, and um, God really blessed. And it was amazing to see... Um, our Aboriginal people right there almost in the middle of Australia making decisions for God, uh, yeah, powerful decisions, yeah, both young yeah. and old. And once again, we do want to say a really big hello because I know there are people in Central Australia because this program does actually go right through the great big Central Australian Outback Network and uh, it's fantastic. I, I hope there's some people there. Udnadatta is such a fantastic spot uh, to actually uh, be, be living. I've lived there. Uh, I've lived there. I've actually uh, visited there on a number of occasions mm. and really, really enjoyed Enjoy, enjoy that. Tell us, David, baptism. Um, is baptism all that important? Yeah, look, good question. Uh, some people use the text in Mark, uh, he who believes and is baptised will be saved, yeah. and he who doesn't will not. A- and they use that, I believe, incorrectly. They strangle Scripture to suggest if you're not baptised, you won't be saved. Mm. Um, Jesus got baptised. He did as an example, and he did it for those that couldn't be baptised. The thief on the cross uh, gives his life to Jesus uh, right there in, in the last dying hours. He didn't have the opportunity to be baptised. However, when the Christian church uh, has its Genesis in Acts chapter 1 and 2, uh, Peter, Pe- Peter preaches this powerful sermon in Acts 2, and um, he tells them that they crucified the Messiah. And the hearers, thousands of them, said to Peter, what should we do? And their response, of course, was... Be baptized. Be baptized. Yeah. Repent and be yeah. baptized and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. So baptism is incredibly important. It's yeah. really like, um, is marriage important or should I just live with someone? 
Yeah. yeah. So baptism is a showing a full commitment to Jesus Christ. Mm. And in my view, it's not only uh, an affirmation to those around us, mm. but I believe the heavenly intelligences, the angels that are in heaven who don't know the beginning from the end, they're not all omniscient, they're not all mm. knowing, they actually, every time someone chooses Jesus and gets baptized, it is another confirmation for the angels in heaven that here on earth people are confirming that God is true, that God is just, and God is loving. So why wouldn't you get baptized yeah. if you're following Jesus? It's a yeah. natural progression. It is. It is. That, that's so important what you've actually said there because you get this public demonstration. I'm actually saying, I want to follow Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes that making that statement is actually so important for my friends as much as for myself. You know, my children need to be able to see that I have chosen Jesus Christ. Absolutely, but it goes broader too. It, when I choose to get baptized, my decision vindicates God and his character mm. because Satan has maligned God's character, saying that you can't trust him, he's withholding from you. Every time someone chooses Jesus and gets baptized, it's another tick in the box for God, if you like. Yeah, yeah. No, that's powerful. David, look too, uh, you've, uh, you were talking last time you were with us about going, doing a big bike ride, fundraising for, uh, for an organization. How is that actually going at the moment? How's that fundraising? Project. So look, it's for the whole month of October. I set a target of 752 kilometres and uh, last year I did a 1,000. I took my bike up to my road bike up to Cooper Pedy. Didn't want to ride with the road trains in the middle of Australia, but rode on some bitumen roads. And um, mm-hmm. look, Sunday I did about 116k, Monday about 70. But back to work yesterday and today I've done nothing. I thought I, you were more slight now than what you what, what you were when yeah, you were last in here. Marginally. I've just got to keep it going. <laughs> that's part of the rationale. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I can. I think that's fantastic. If, if people want to be able to give, can they give it all to... The, what, what, what's the project yeah, you're working on? It's called um, the Great Cycle Challenge, and it's um, raising money for kids with cancer. So if they looked up Great Cycle challenge um, they could find me there David Butcher and donate fantastic fantastic yeah no, I, I think that's a wonderful little project and it's well worth giving and supporting and people can also donate to faith FM as well can't they, they faithfm.org.au <laughs> Thank you for that, David. You're, oh, we need to have you on here more regularly. That's wonderful. Before we come to today's big question, David, I'm really interested in your thoughts on another issue. Uh, today's religion news service, I uh, picked up an article that really jumped out at me, and I sort of thought, since you are the uh, the president, you're the chief here in South Australia, as far as the Seventh-day Adventist churches are concerned, you have uh, authority over my own you know, employment, uh, so, so you are my boss. Lim- limited authority. Uh, limited authority. <laughs> But on this particular um, article, it um, it started by by asking a question: How will the post pandemic church pay the bills? Now, this is uh, this is what it uh, what it said: uh, the conversation amongst many church leaders and pastors in post COVID is how we will change worship and gather as congregations. But there's another question looming for many houses of worship about the post-pandemic world. How will they keep the lights on? Now, according to a study by Barna Group, 65% of American churches have seen a decrease in contributions during the pandemic. A staggering one in five churches, according to the survey, may be forced to close their doors in the next 18 months, the study said. 
one in five may be forced to close their doors simply on financial grounds. Mark DeMayers, a pastor of the Mosaic Church in Arkansas, has been watching the trend for years. In his 2019 book, The Coming Revolution in Church Economics, DeMayers declared that tithes and offerings were no longer enough to provide the needs for most congregations. The pandemic, he told me recently, has only accelerated the inevitable. The pandemic Pandemic, DeMayer said, is serving as a long overdue and much needed wake up call for the American church. And of course, what happens in America tends to ultimately flow across here to Australia. Sure. He predicts many churches have seven to ten months to either adapt or die. The only way to survive, he said, is to reduce their dependence on weekly donations and develop alternative sources of revenue that leverage the congregation's property and personnel in new ways. Now, David, tell me, this brings up a huge question for the, you know, I mean, I know you're, you're connected here with the, the, the Seventh-day Adventist Church. How are we going financially? How are we being impacted by the pandemic at this particular point in time? Yeah, I think it would be wrong to say that we're not impacted. Uh, and I think um, with the end of some of the stimulus from the federal government, like JobKeeper um, winding back, uh, we probably won't know till about March, April next year the true effect. However, um, God has really blessed the church in Australia, the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Um, we believe in uh, tithes and um, the biblical teaching on tithes, and our tithes right across Australia are up. Tithes is a sign, I think, of our, um, our, our trust in God. Do we really trust him? Do we put him first? Mm-hmm. Um, so our tithes are up. Local offerings uh, in some parts of Australia are down, and even here in South Australia. Mm-hmm. But... Um, uh, because the Seventh-day Adventist Church actually uses a tithing system, doesn't it? A biblical tithing system to fund ministry. Can you explain that a little well, bit? Well, our tithe can't be used. So so tithing is is giving of your increase, the, f- the first 10%, um, which is biblical in the Old Testament and the New, uh, returning that to the Lord because he owns everything. Mm-hmm. So when we acknowledge that God owns everything, even if I'm loaded with bills in front of me, there is this faith test. Mm-hmm. Well, I put God first because yeah. he's put me first. We serve a God who gives. And so tithe in our church is used for the funding of ministry, for Bible teaching in schools, and for chaplaincy. And um, so it's sacred. Uh, then we have in local churches free will offerings mm-hmm. like all churches. Now, they're free will. People give as they're able and as they're convicted. Um, some churches are down, but over and all, we've, we've done a sample across our churches, and they're they're down about 2%, I believe, um, January to July in, in here in South Australia. But time will tell. But God has really blessed our people are faithful. And I think when people seek God and put him first, mm. uh, God does amazing things. And actually, Gary, um, the history of the Adventist Church in Australia has shown that in times of crisis, and I'm sure it's in other denominations as well, uh, times such as the Great Depression, mm-hmm. the GFC, mm-hmm. and even now, tithing goes up. That's a, that's an interesting dynamic, isn't it? You know, it, it's almost as though people are, are reaching out and they're saying, "I want to, I want to be faithful at this time uh, because God is." Where's the certainty? So I want to put God first. I want to put. 
I want to put my confidence in something that is certain rather than the things of this earth which are uncertain. Yeah, yeah. Now, one of the challenges we face as a worldwide denomination is um, with a number of our offerings, they go to fund mission and missionaries overseas mm, mm. Uh, all across the world. Uh, and those sorts of areas of giving have dropped off. So we need to really encourage and be faithful in those areas as well. Okay, okay. Well, this article actually finishes up by talking about a related point, and it's something I also want to bring up with you. He says this. There's another issue. The majority of church budgets today are allocated to salaries upward of 50%. Buildings are usually the next highest expenditure. Commonly less than 10% of churches' budget funds are for ministry. Perhaps the revolution needs to replace the current model centred on propping up institutions with a new structure that prioritises ministry. His experience, he says, has led him to conclude that churches should rethink their entire model, perhaps even taking cues from the success of organisations like Alcoholic Anonymous, which owns no property and has no professional paid employees on principle. Many of the pastors in my neighbourhood, he said, are bivocational and have only jobs that help with expenses. Jesus was a carpenter. Paul was a tent maker. Rather than asking how we can increase our income, sometimes should we be asking how we can decrease our expenditure? Now, David, this uh, this concept of bivocational ministry, I mean, it's, it's something that floats around the church from time to time. Is this something that, you know, at a time like this, Maybe we should be considering because I'm so conscious that even with the uh, the number of uh, paid professional employees that we've got, the the work of God on earth isn't going to be finished with uh, with the particular group that we've got you know right now. Not because they're not capable, but because the work is so much larger. Yeah, that, that, that is 100% correct. And in our denomination, we use a range of employment and, and arrangements where we use uh, theologically trained ministers that have gone mm. through a four-year degree or a two-year postgraduate degree. But we also use these tent makers by vocational people that um, may be retired or may be able to um, have other employment, but they also care for a church uh, one or two days a week. So we have a there is a there is a... Um, a benefit in both and a blessing in both. You need people that are deeply theologically trained, um, but uh, tent makers or bivocational workers, I find, are incredible because they're not they're they basically have this calling on their heart. Mm-hmm. They haven't gone through formal theological mm-hmm. training, but they have a calling on their heart. They've shown evidence of it in working the local church, and they just want yeah. to serve the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. And so we've been blessed uh, in the Seventh Day Adventist Church in Australia to have bivocational workers as well as theologically trained workers. The other thing I would say is. Um, um, there was a time when charities would often, you'd hear stories where they were spending about 80-odd percent or more of the donations on admin costs and marketing yeah, costs. Yeah. Uh, that is not desired. Mm. And um, local offerings, uh, most of those are retained by the local church here in Australia for the running of the local church and ministry in the local church. When it comes to tithe, that all comes in centrally to each state office, if you like, mm. and is then distributed um to ministers on an equity basis, an equal basis, whether they've got 50 members or 100 or 300 members in a church. And tithe is uh, for a sacred thing. It's not for anything and everything. And so the majority of the tithe that comes in 
goes back to frontline ministry, mm. ministers in the field working to share the good news of Jesus, because that's what we're about. I, I think the, the concept that you've just outlined to me is actually so important, where you've actually got a central repository for things like tithe. It means that when, I know at one point I was, uh, uh, I was pastor with a, a church of um, 250 or, or so, so people, and I'm just conscious that if all the tithe had come to the church pastor myself, I would have been able to retire after one year. And ministry would be hindered in other parts in the outback exactly, or whatever. Exactly. And I, I also passed it, I've passed it in the outback. And if I had had to live on the wages in that particular area, I'm so conscious that I, I would have been eating, um, a very basic rations, uh, most days. That's right. So there is, uh, the work will never be finished uh, with fully funded ministers because yeah. the gospel's got to go into all the world. Yeah. Yeah. But so it's it's a both and yeah. uh, fully funded ministers, theologically trained, and tent makers, bivocational workers that either don't need to be remunerated, their expenses covered, don't need to be remunerated, but just have this passion and calling that God has placed on their heart to be soul winners for the kingdom. And you know, David, to me the very beautiful thing is that I believe the Lord is actually right now calling more and more people into what I call a, this bivocational ministry where they're, they're doing their job, but they're happy to say, hey, look, you know, the number of people that I'm aware of that have said, hey, I'm going to have um, four days a week working as uh, whatever I do, but one day a week I'm going to go and give that to the Lord and I'm going to become involved in ministry in in my church. And to me, as I see this happening, I say, hey, I believe the Spirit of God is moving so powerfully when uh, people's hearts are touched in that particular way. And when people, not only we've talked about returning to God his money, tithe, but when people give of their time and their talents or their gifts, if you like, mm. their lives are enriched spiritually, they're yeah. empowered, they're on fire for the Lord and, and we believe that Jesus is coming soon yeah. the signs in the world are telling us uh, the world is in decay yeah. And so Jesus is coming soon. There's a work to be done, and we want yeah. everyone to be sharing that wonderful message yeah. we have. And and can I just simply say there, David, look, if there are any of our our listeners who are feeling convicted right now, you know, because I'm really conscious that sometimes the Holy Spirit actually convicts people and says to them, hey, this is something that I want you to do. You know, to me, there's nothing better that a person can actually do than to say, hey, look, you know, I'm going to trim back my work. I'm just not going to – I don't need as much as I've actually uh, got here. I'm happy to spend a day a week, you know. To me, I would say if that is being laid on your heart, hey, please follow up on that particular calling because it's a powerful calling. And they won't be disappointed. They'll be richly blessed. I know we've got to move on, but briefly, uh, a year ago I had a conversation which divinely appointed with a couple a uh, retired couple that uh, were coming through, had been through Cooper PD. We were looking for staffing up there, mm. and God put it on my heart to ask them. And yeah. I said, just think about it. And uh, they'd told me they'd worked with Indigenous people years ago, that um, the wife had lived there many years ago in Cooper Pedy for three years. And God just made this moment. And about a week or two later, I had a phone call back, let's talk. And uh, mm. praise God, those people are up there doing a wonderful job in the community. Yeah, yeah. So if people step out in faith, if God puts a burden on their heart, with whatever form of ministry, you will be blessed, you will be enriched, and you won't be poor. Yeah, yeah. No, I have seen that happen time and time again. And it just you just stand in awe at the way the Lord works in individuals' lives when they say, I'm going to put Christ first, and I'm I'm going to I'm going to dedicate a certain amount of time to to him. And when yeah. we put God first, we see 
miracles happen. When we actually step out in faith in whatever it is, put God first, a leap of faith, so to speak, God works. He does. He does. Let's come to some music, David. Really time to have a a break here. This is a heritage. uh, No more night.
Take Faith FM on the go with the free Faith FM app, available for Apple and Android. That's a fantastic little app. If you don't have the Faith FM app, download it on your phone. You really need to grab it. Uh, I've had it on my phone for quite some time. Love to be able to pick up any past programs. Just go to your favourite app store, search for Faith FM Australia and download that app. You can look at back programs. You can listen to programming while you're walking in the morning. Uh, there's no le- no need to, to listen to even to the, uh, to, to through the, uh, why, through the airwaves. You can pick it up straight through the internet. Fantastic little app that uh, uh, that particular app. Also today, our free gift to you is uh, the Cosmic Conflict: uh, Origin of Evil DVD, uh, folks. This is a fantastic uh, uh, DVD. It's uh, put out by Pastor Doug Batchelor. He's a fantastic. He's an internationally renowned speaker. Uh, it's a DVD: The Cosmic Conflict: The Origin of Evil. If you would like uh, that particular DVD then just text us at our studio phone here. It's 0438 066 That's 0438 066 Just send us your name, send us your address, uh, send us your contact uh, phone number and we'll send you that DVD uh, in, the, in the next day or two. I believe you'll really enjoy it. Uh, you're listening to Faith FM Drive Time, big Q&A with Pastor. Pastor Gary. Today our co-host is Pastor David Butcher and David's the President of the Seventh-day Adventist Church here in South Australia. And this week we're following the theme, the church in an age of cultural change. And the big question for today is, has culture changed uh, the church? And of course we're referring this uh, this particular week uh, to an inventory that was released uh, just very recently. This is called the American Worldview Inventory. This this uh, inventory was taken uh, earlier this year. It uh, has had 11 reports, and what we're looking at today is the 11th report that was released just earlier this week. And this is looking at uh, our our world and our church and the impact of our secular society on the church. Now, this is uh, this is what it uh, what this particular report says. The latest report shows that American Christianity is undergoing what a director of research, Dr. George Barner, calls a post-Christian reformation. Uh, members of our nation's major religious groups, the evan- evangelicals, Pentecostals, Charismatics, mainline Protestants and Catholics, are rapidly replacing traditional biblical teachings and their historic denominational distinctives with secular values of a post-Christian culture. Now, I'm amazed this uh, particular survey uh, was taken off 2,000 uh, purportedly uh, Christian people. These were church-attending individuals. And their conclusion was that the church groups are rapidly replacing biblical teachings and denominational distinctives with values of our post-Christian culture. The American Worldview Inventory 2020 looked at 51 beliefs and behaviours amongst American Christians and found that members of all four major church groups are rapidly becoming more secular and are redefining their beliefs, but they're redefining their beliefs, it says here, without the Bible. In short... All are radically deviating from their historic biblical foundations and embracing 
cultural values. A few, a few of the results. A, va- the, a majority of adult evangelicals contend that there is no such thing as absolute moral truth. Instead, truth is uniquely determined by each individual according to personal preference and circumstances. This is, this is amazing stuff. This fundamental change in evangelical understanding of truth leads to a number of other significant shifts. The majority of church-attending individuals do not read the Bible. 75% believe that people are basically good, a clear contradiction, it says, to the traditional evangelical teaching that because people are sinners, they're not essentially good and therefore in need of Jesus Christ as a saviour. 43% even believe that Christ was a sinner while he lived on earth. That, of course, contradicts the uh, the, the teaching right across the spectrum. The Christian spectrum. 58% demote the Holy Spirit to simply being a symbolic status. Now, David, look, you've been in ministry for for many years now. Uh, You've pastored churches. You've been involved in church administration. How do these sorts of results, referring to the Christian, how do they impact you? What do you you think? I guess it would be good to say, well, it sort of shocks me, but it doesn't. Okay. Uh, um, I mean, people, many Christians calling themselves, believing that Jesus sinned while he was on earth, mm. believing that humanity is inherently good. Mm. Uh, and I think as you've have, uh, aptly put it, and as this report says, that um, the American culture has pervaded American Christianity. And as you mm. said earlier in our little segment, that um, often what happens in America flows on to other parts of the world, and we often copy America in a number of things. So this report is quite startling, actually, mm. Mm. and and for want of a better word, shocking. Mm. Um, if we and, claim- and David, before we move on, if people actually want to get a copy of this particular report, they can actually download it off the internet. It's actually called the American Worldview Inventory 2020. There's been 11 reports that have come from this uh, uh, inventory, and this is number 11. So if people want to get hold of it, the American Worldview Inventory, I, I, I believe it's worth Christian people having a look what's actually happening in the Christian world right now. And some of these um, documents that have come out, these 11 documents have come out recently, haven't they, in the last oh, these are, well, this number 11 is just in the last uh, last week, but the uh, previous 10 were released every two weeks mm. uh, over about a, a two- or three-month period. And the, I found in reading them, they are this startling material uh, that's actually in these uh, these documents. And when you think, and we'll, we'll dig into this, Gary, and look at some of the how secularism has influenced Christianity. Mm. People want to have the tag Christian. Yeah, but they want the world as well, and and we all have that in us to a point, don't we? We've got to die daily. Yeah. Um, and as I think about the 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 Christian martyrs, the disciples, yeah, people yeah. that gave up everything, that that truth meant everything. Yeah. Uh, and now we see a cushy Christianity, a comfortable Christianity that's convenient for me. Uh, truth is what I deem it to be. Yeah. Uh, morality doesn't really matter. Yeah. Um, yeah. We diminish Jesus. And and his divinity. Do you think the scriptures have got anything to say about uh, this type of a report? They do. So shall we dig yeah, yeah, into yeah. that? Yeah, let's yeah. dig into it. So I, I guess one of the first things, Gary, I'd really like to look at is 
uh, is the Bible authoritative? Because mm-hmm. this report highlights that amongst many um, evangelicals, um, which espouse um, the veracity and the truth of the scriptures, that that is diminishing. Yeah. Significantly so, diminishing. Significantly diminishing. <laughs> yeah. Which is really concerning. Um, and you have to have a basis for what you believe. Mm. Uh, so look, a number of scriptures, Gary, that I think answer this for us. Um, we have to have a foundation and anchor. And for Christians, it is allegedly the Bible. Indeed. And yet what this report shows, um, that's been watered and diluted right down. So Second Peter 1 verse 21 mm-hmm. is probably the first text I want to take us to on is the Bible authoritative for us. And Peter says there, For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. So Peter is saying um, the scriptures that have been written by human beings, about 40-odd different human beings, over 15, 1,600 years and three continents, mm. um, it hasn't been devised by man. It's not some novel that's been written by humanity. Um, men were given visions and dreams. They were shown things. They were impressed. They were moved by the Holy Spirit. Mm. It wasn't their own will. It wasn't their own um, their own thoughts, if you like. It was divinely inspired by God. It's God's word. This is an important point that you're actually making here because, do you know, there are so many people that I'm conscious of who are increasingly reducing the Bible to the, almost the level of a secular novel. And yet, as I read the scriptures, as I look at them, I mean, to me, I, I'm back up what you've actually said there from Peter, hmm. a second Timothy. You know, That's Paul, right. of course, is talking in, in Timothy, and uh, what he says here is all scripture is giving by, given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for, uh, you know, and and so, and so it goes on. It's talking about God. The scriptures themselves have been God-inspired. And it's all scripture. It's the totality of scripture, including yeah. all those numerical lists of how many people in this tribe Indeed. and that tribe. It's all given by God. It's all inspired. When you go to Isaiah chapter 1, verse 1 as an example, and Micah 1, verse 1 is another one, those Bible writers, those prophets, mm. mouthpieces for God, if you like, this is what it says in the opening of the book of Isaiah, chapter mm. 1, verse 1. The vision of Isaiah the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Isaiah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. So we are told here that Isaiah is claiming that he was given visions concerning what was going to take place. Mm. Mm. And that is actually really key because this is not a person sitting down and 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 through study and uh, and and thinking and reflection they're actually writing down. The Bible writers themselves are actually making the claim that something supernatural happened in their lives, a vision, and as a result of that supernatural. Thing happening in their lives, they've written down a report. Even in the New Testament, when we get the the um, historical record of Christ, something supernatural happened. Jesus Christ came, Absolutely. and what you actually get is the Bible writers sitting down and writing the record the supernatural of, events. of supernatural events. And we see um, we see there with Luke, don't we? Uh, this doctor that followed Paul around. When you read the beginning of Acts and particularly the beginning of Luke, he talks about the research he did about these stories. He went and sussed them out. He he checked them out to make the check the veracity of them. 
So it is all based on the supernatural. Um, in Zechariah 7.12, it says in the Old Testament, Yes, they made their hearts like flint, refusing to hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts had sent by his Spirit through the former prophets. Mm-hmm. So God, through the Holy Spirit, impresses um, the minds and the thinking and uh, of, of men uh, as they were chosen by God to write down mm. what they were shown. Okay, okay. And, and that is so important. On, on This, to me, what you've just said, really challenges the worldview of so many people who have responded in the American worldview inventory because whereas they've come to say the conclusions that they have actually drawn is that, uh, that, that their opinion is actually a good way of... Uh, of directing their lives, what the um, uh, what Barner actually says in his report is no, 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 no. That's not sufficient for the Christian. There is something more important for the Christian than that. You can't have you can't have both worlds when you're following Jesus. Exactly. And Jesus says you've got to take up your cross and die daily. One last text in that one, Gary. Uh, the Bible is authoritative. John seventeen verse seventeen. Jesus on the eve of his arrest, this beautiful prayer, the whole mm, of chapter seventeen mm. of the Gospel of John. Jesus prays, pours his heart out to his Father. He knows what's ahead of him. And he says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Yeah, yeah. It's a beautiful promise, that. It really... But, David, let me move on to another area, if I possibly can, because I'm conscious that our time is already getting uh, getting away from us. Now, one of the conclusions, and this is the one that – this one really shocked me. The the, the matter about the the scriptures shocked me somewhat, but this one absolutely blew my my socks off. Seventy-five percent of people uh, said that um, in others – sorry, 75 percent believe that people are basically good. Mm. And then it says a clear contradiction to traditional evangelical teaching that because people are sinners, they are not essentially good and therefore need Jesus Christ as a saviour. Now, 75, just tell us, what is the traditional evangelical Protestant belief on this issue of, you know, people being good? I mean, aren't we good? Uh, Jesus, when he was confronted by this rich young ruler, um, he says no one is good but God. Okay. Because this okay. rich young ruler comes to Jesus as good teacher. Yeah. Now let's let's look at this. Um, Psalm fifty one verse five. Mm-hmm. The uh, the psalmist David, the king, uh, the prophet says, "Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me." Jeremiah, this wonderful um, prophet in the Old Testament, says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So what does that tell us about the human condition? That's, that's actually very powerful because, you know, what's, what's happening here is that the scriptures are actually revealing what humanity is naturally like. It's saying that, hey, humanly... Naturally, before the Spirit of God makes a change in an individual's life, he is, according to to that passage, deceitful above all things and desperately, desperately wicked. wicked. That's that's not a good reference for somebody, is it? Now, we're not allowed to use those words almost in society, are we? Yeah, because you might yeah. depress people and make them feel guilty. Yeah, yeah. 
Now, but, the, but the beautiful thing about the scriptures, of course, is that they present the problem, but then they turn around and they present a solution as well. Case in point, the wages of sin is death. That's that's demoralizing. Mm. But the rest of the verse, but the gift of God is eternal life Indeed. through Jesus Christ. Our Lord. I mean, let's look at Romans 3 verse 10. And in fact, you could read 3 verse 10 through to 18, which we won't. But uh, chapter 3 verse 10 says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. This is the greatest theologian of the New Testament other than Jesus, the Apostle Paul. No one is righteous, no, not one. Um, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Um, so it surprises me. It surprises me to think that American Christianity, and it's pervading here as well, isn't exactly, it? Exactly, exactly. Yep, um, yep. Has such a false sense of human nature. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And Satan wants us to be deluded and deceived that inherently we're okay. And, and this is something that, to me, as, as I look at it, I sort of say, hey, I'm coming from the wrong foundation. Do you know, to me, one of the things I'm so conscious of is that Scripture does make this statement that, hey, we all humanity has a problem, but there is also a solution mm. suggested. You know, if humanity doesn't have a problem, then you actually don't need the solution. That's exactly right. And what was Jesus' mission statement? For me, it's Luke 19, verse 10, the story of Zacchaeus. He says, for I have come to seek and to save that which was lost. Mm. Now, why was humanity lost? Lost in sin. Lost forever unless uh, God himself, Jesus Christ, came to live as one of us, die as one of us, live a perfect life, be resurrected, and by believing in him, we can have that gift of eternal life. Mm. So this view that inherently we are basically good gives us a false impression that sin is not sin, that evil and wickedness are not there, that, that we don't need a saviour. Therefore, it diminishes Jesus Christ. You know, the Christian church doesn't speak a great deal about sin any longer, does it? No. We talk about grace. Mm. But you can't understand grace if you don't understand the fallenness of humanity mm. and how lost we are in, in other our words, wicked and evil why ways. Why do you actually need grace? Absolutely. Yeah. You don't understand grace unless you have an understanding of how wicked and evil we are. Yeah. Yeah. I can think of some of the times in ministry, David, I've, uh, people have come to me and I've spoken to them. I've, I've chatted to them and, uh, they've shared an issue that's going on in their life. And I can remember on a number of occasions, I've just had to say to them, Hey, what you're actually involved in is a thing called sin. Um, what you are doing is the wrong thing. You know, um, and what you are experiencing now is a thing called guilt. And, you know, to me, it's when you then bring them to Jesus Christ and, you know, you ask for this thing of confession and promise that the scriptures promise forgiveness. You know, it, it is so important if we confess our sins, mm. he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins oh. and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. all unrighteousness. To me, that's a beautiful, a fantastic promise that uh, to me, uh, you know, you can, you can take it to psychologist after psychologist, but you know, if in fact a person is carrying guilt, to say that it doesn't matter is not an appropriate response. And that's what Satan wants us to think yeah. and feel. And in my yeah. own life, I've experienced that yeah. at times, yeah. that he will have us live with guilt 
um, because he doesn't want us freed. When we're under guilt, we are captives. Yeah. Romans 5, 8 says, But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Yeah. Yeah. What a promise. So that's the answer. But we don't appreciate that if we don't appreciate our depravity. Yeah. And yeah, our fallenness. Yeah, yeah. David, that's, thank you for that. Look, let me just come on to, because it brings us to our next subject, and I'm conscious that our time is starting to really run away from us. A majority of adult evangelicals contend that there is no absolute moral truth. Instead, truth is determined individually uh, by each individual according to personal preference and circumstances. A majority contend that there is no absolute moral truth. This is horrifying stuff. This is consumer culture, this is materialism, this is putting self first, this is the I culture, isn't it, and it the is. me culture. It is. It is. Um, the Bible has a lot to say about this. And again, this is uh, Christianity is countercultural. It is. It and is. it has to be. And yet we're living in a society that wants to make it the norm. To do that, they water down Christianity so it's not even Christian. Well, Christianity is, in fact, watering down Christianity. Yeah, yes, thank you. Yes, yeah, very yeah. well put. So let's look at what the Bible says about um, there being no absolute moral truth and that truth is uniquely determined by individuals. Uh, psalm 86, verse 11. Again, a beautiful psalm. It says, Teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. So here the psalmist is saying, look, teach me, God. I want to walk in your truth. Mm. Um, Psalm 119, verse 45, and I will walk at liberty, for I seek your precepts. In other words, the psalmist is saying, I want to be free. I want to, I'm seeking your truth. Mm. We go to John chapter 8, um, verses 31 and 32. And uh, Jesus said, uh, to the Jews who believed in him, he says, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And it says then, And you shall know the truth. And the truth shall set you free. Not know a truth or know your own truth. You will know the truth. Yeah. And the truth will set you free. He elaborates that even further in John 14, verse 6. He says, I am the way. The truth. The truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So I don't get a picture here, Gary, from the words of Jesus, God himself, our Savior. I don't get a picture here at all that I can make truth relative for me and fit my own culture, fit my own sinful life so that I don't have to deal with guilt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, that is so key. I, I, I love the way David actually puts it, Psalm 19. He's actually talking about the law of God. And, of course, law of God is really out of fashion these days. But, mm. David, I love what he says. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. More to be desired than oh, gold, sweeter also than honey. And the honey. Now, what David's actually doing is making a love song about the law of God. Yeah, that doesn't happen today. <laughs> it doesn't it? happen today. What about this one, Gary? Um, Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit. However, when he, the spirit of truth, truth is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority. Now, we want to speak on our own authority today, indeed, don't we, as Christians? Indeed, indeed. He will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Isn't that a fantastic promise? Isn't that a wonderful Absolutely. promise? Absolutely. One last one, Gary. 
Paul, Ephesians 6.14. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. He says stand. Stand. We can't resist the devil if we don't know what truth is, yeah. if we don't know what our Savior is, if we don't know what sin is, and if we don't know what grace is. Indeed, indeed. David, let's come to some music. Love this particular song. This is Bethany Dillon. How great at the Father's love for us. Faith FM app, available for Apple and Android. Welcome back. You're listening to Faith FM Drive Time. Big Q&A with Pastor Gary. Today our co-host is Pastor David Butcher and David's the President of the Seventh-day Adventist Church in South Australia. And this week we're following the theme, the church in an age of cultural change. And the big question for today, has culture changed the church? David, really appreciate all that you've actually been sharing today. But look, I really want to, I'm conscious our time is really starting to get away from us, but just 
let's come to something really, really practical here. As a, you know, you're a father, you're a church employee, you're the president of the church here in, in South Oz. How do you go about practically challenging an increasingly secular, media dominated, consumer based culture? In this whole area, I mean, this is culture and media is really changing the way our church members, our, our church members are thinking. How do we challenge this? It is one of the things we didn't look at in the report is the decline in Bible reading, and I think that we see that in Australia, we see it in our own homes, and I can speak personally. I know in our, in my own home and in my own life, at times when I haven't been as connected as I could have and should have been with God. When other things have drawn my attention, my walk suffers, yeah. my demeanor suffers, my own happiness suffers. And I've seen that um, media is an incredible thing with young people. And in, in my own family, I've seen some really incredible changes when media has been really limited. And, and when, when individuals come to that point, our children, where they realize this is not good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. With our direction, and, and God's doing some amazing things in that space. But it's a continual challenge that we face. Satan yeah. doesn't give up. Yeah. And I want to share two things. I want to challenge our people with Gary in, in the couple of minutes we've got left. In Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, Apostle Paul says this, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, he's begging, he's pleading, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. With everything he's done for you, he's saying this is only reasonable. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Paul is saying we shouldn't be conformed to the world like what we've been talking about is happening in America and even here here, but we need to have a renewing of our minds. We need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. That happens as we are in relationship with Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And finally, one last text, and it's in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. Um, Paul says, uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 and 8, What things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have mm. suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. So he is saying he counts everything loss. Um, mm compared to knowing Jesus. In fact, the word everything is rubbish is the word excrement. <laughs> I count everything else as rubbish. Everything indeed, else is excrement, indeed. but for knowing Jesus Christ, yeah. my Lord. And so my challenge, Gary, to our listeners, secularism creeps in through our homes, through the internet, mm-hmm. uh, through our eyes, through our senses, through what we do with our finances, through our what we wear, what we, everything. Yeah. Yeah. And we have to fortify and strengthen our minds, our homes, our hearts, our characters. The only avenue for safety is to count everything but loss for Jesus Christ. The only avenue for safety is be transformed by the renewing of our minds so we're not conformed yeah, to yeah. this world. And it's an amazing thing when we actually ask the Holy Spirit to actually impact our mind, to change our hearts, to provide us direction and certainty. You know, the Holy Spirit is able to do things where he's actually able to... Uh, to, to change, he has the, the power. He's got the power. That's the secular worldview seems to die. The things of earth are strangely dim mm. in the light of His glory and grace, according to the old. And it's true. Absolutely. It's true. You know, David. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, I come to you right now, Lord. I want to say thank you. 
uh, for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you so much for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Lord, thank you so much for giving us your word. Uh, Lord, I just want to pray for each of our listeners. Lord, if there's anybody there who's struggling right now with some secular issue that they're being negatively impacted, Lord, I just pray right now that as they raise their hand uh, that your Holy Spirit might descend upon them. Lord, that you might forgive them. Uh, But, Lord, not just that you might forgive, that you might come and dwell within them. You might fill them, that indeed uh, they might live, they might grow to be more like the wonderful Jesus, that we might lay aside the things of this earth and pick up the things of heaven. Lord, these things we ask. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, folks, it, it, it does look like our time is up for today. Thank you so much for joining Pastor Gary and Pastor David Butcher on Drive Time Big Q&A. Please join us tomorrow when we, when Pastor Fabiano leads us in a discussion, the secular church and biblical morality. Uh, interesting discussion, this one. I really look forward to seeing you. But until then, please remember, Christ said, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart, and the peace I give. Isn't like the peace that the world gives. So don't be troubled or afraid. May our God richly bless you. Please enjoy Keith Lancaster, Ancient Words.